This is a sermon for Palm Sunday, and the reading is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to the Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to, Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The events of Palm Sunday and Holy Week are going to feel very different this year as we all go through the tight restrictions on our lives brought about by the coronavirus pandemic and as we hear news about the many thousands of lives that are lost and the countless number of people who are now ill with the virus around the world. I'm guessing that many of us now will know someone personally who has either caught the virus and is ill with it or someone who has thankfully recovered from it. It's quite easy to get information overload about COVID-19 and for each of us to feel anxious about the future. Hearing the news on the TV or the radio about a situation far away is one thing, but when that news affects us personally, it brings a whole new level of pain. Maybe like me, you're suffering from what might be called compassion fatigue. There is so much suffering and grief and loss going on around us, we sometimes come to the point of saying, I can't take it anymore, Lord, but give me your grace and your compassion to keep loving and praying for this world you love so much. Or as Lamentations chapter 3 says, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And in a strange sort of way that leads us to this day we're remembering, Palm Sunday. Notice I didn't say celebrating Palm Sunday. Is it right to celebrate in the midst of all the pain that is going on around us and inside us? But that again leads us to the heart of what was going on that day in Jerusalem all those years ago as Jesus rode into the city. For Jesus, that triumphal entry was a mixture of both joy and sorrow, exultation and pain, cheering and booing, welcome and rejection. Why? Because Jesus knew what was to come that week. He knew he was heading for arrest, trial, scourging and the most excruciating death humanity has ever devised, crucifixion. In the midst of all the cheering and the welcome and the excitement of the crowd, Jesus also knew that by the end of the week they would turn on him and shout crucify him. That's why we must walk the fine line this holy week between remembering and celebrating these holy events in the last week of Jesus' life on this earth. 
We dare not, and we must not lose the sense of hope that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem brings. But we also need to bear in mind the tragedy that is around the corner. You see, we think we know these events so well, don't we? They trip off our tongue. The donkey, the palm branches, the welcome and the buzz of the crowds. The crying out of Davidic chants like, Hosanna! And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But in the midst of coronavirus and all the pain and suffering that it is bringing with it, we can see Palm Sunday in a new and dazzling light. Let's revisit the scene in our mind's eye. The streets of Jerusalem were buzzing, and things would only get worse as the week went on. The city of Jerusalem, was whose, whose population normally stood at about 60,000, swelled as the Passover approached, and this year would be no different. Rumours circulated that a young rabbi from Galilee named Jesus would be there, the one who had raised Lazarus from the dead. This Jesus drew crowds wherever he went. Amazing things were said about him, that he had fed 5,000 men and more counting the children and the women, with five small loaves of bread and two small fish, that he could make the blind see, the deaf hear and the lame walk. He was not only a healer, but also a man who could command demons to come out of people and who claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. His teaching and ways were revolutionary, to say the least. So much so that an unlikely alliance of the scribes and the Pharisees and even of Jews and Romans would be forged to rid the world of this young troublemaker. While the establishment and the powers to be saw Jesus as a real threat, the crowd saw him differently. Some perceived that a real-life prophet of God was in their midst. They marvelled that a compassionate man who did the miraculous things he did was not a man after personal gain. Here was a simple man who identified with them. He was not ignorant of their pain and suffering that disease, poverty and oppression brought. He was a paradox to them. As he spoke of God, yet was a friend of the destitute, the downcast and the delinquent. So very different from the religious leaders who only engaged the masses to strut like peacocks before them to show their righteous standing before God. How very different Jesus was from them. Others saw Jesus as a potential deliverer. He had healed others of their infirmities and diseases. Of this there was no doubt. But they wanted something greater than a person who worked on such a limited scale. If he could deliver one blind man and ten lepers, and five thousand hungry from what afflicted them, why not deliver a whole nation from its ills and troubles? Others saw him as a fake, a charlatan, a person who worked sleight-of-hand magic before the ignorant and untrained, one who would eventually use the masses to achieve his own personal ambition and goals. Yes, Jesus was enigmatic, And no, he hadn't given anyone proof of sinister intentions yet. Jesus was a sly one, they thought. But they knew it would only be a matter of time before Jesus would tip his hand and then his pseudo-religious, caring, self-effacing act would be seen for what it truly was. A ploy for ambition and power. There were some who just didn't know enough about him to make any judgment. Yes, they'd heard stories and and other things, but it was so far-fetched and unbelievable to be true, they thought. It wasn't that these people were necessarily cynical by nature, like those who felt it was all a sham, 
but they just didn't know because they hadn't been touched by him personally. They didn't question that he had made an impact on the lives of others. It was just that they hadn't had an impact made on them. Maybe what they said about him was true, maybe it wasn't. Only time and personal experience would tell, they thought. In contrast to these, there were a few who saw Jesus in a different light altogether. They they saw him as more than a miracle worker and reformer. They understood he was called to be much more than a religious leader and teacher. He was preacher and prophet, sacrifice and priest, and servant as well as king. In short, he was the Messiah that God had promised Israel centuries ago. Surely the deliverance that the nation of Israel had longed and hoped and prayed for was at hand, for David's greatest son would lead the nation into world prominence again. The crowd that watched Jesus that Sunday morning was made up of many types of people. Critics, cynics, sceptics, the undecided, believers, those who weren't really interested. And that's not all that different from crowds that gather today. Not that crowds can gather at this time, of course. But then as he approached from Bethphage, the excitement of the crowd grew, especially as they saw him riding on a colt of a donkey, knowing that God's Messiah would come in such a way as Zechariah had prophesied some five centuries before. And so as he approaches Jerusalem, the city erupted with excitement and the crowd got caught up in the moment. They started casting down their cloaks on the road and the palm branches that symbolised the peace and the victory they hoped he would bring. They called out words from Psalm 118, a psalm which talks about the success and celebration of God's people when the Lord visits them with his salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Yet on this happy and joyous occasion, when everything seems to be going so well, Luke says in his version of the story that Jesus wept. Why? Because Jesus knew that the cheering and the clamouring of the crowd would not last. He knew he had come to Jerusalem for one reason only, and that was to be crucified. He understood then, as he, as he understands now, what really resides in the heart of humanity. He knew the devotion to the crowd was a fickle thing and would last only as long as he would do what they wanted. The crowd wanted to be cared for and catered to. This was the price Jesus would have to pay if he was continue to reap the accolades of the masses. He knew they wanted him to grant their every wish and whim. He knew that as soon as he failed to meet their expectations, the crowd would turn on him as quickly as they they had turned to him. Why did the cheering and the adulation stop? Well, because the crowd, the problem with the crowd was, is just just the same as it is now. The crowd failed to realise that Jesus didn't come to serve their needs, but to save them. He didn't come to tell them what a wonderful group of people they were, but to say to them they needed to repent. He told them there was one who was greater than them, who, and that was God, who desired to be first in their lives, rather than second, third or fourth. And so I come back to what I said earlier. Palm Sunday presents us all with a profound question. How do we walk the fine line in our present circumstances between tragedy and hope? We want to celebrate the love and mercy of God. We want to experience his salvation and deliverance. 
We ask God to bless us and grant us success. But I ask you, and I ask myself, are we all that different from the crowd that greeted him on that, on that first Palm Sunday? You see, this enforced isolation we're all in provides us with a unique opportunity to seek God in a way that does truly put him first in our lives. Francis Frangipan, in his book entitled, And I Will Be Found By You, says this, and it's a very powerful quote. He says, The Lord is concerned about fulfilling our desires, but to do so he must pry our fingers off our lives and turn our hearts towards him. Indeed, the reason we are alive is not to fulfil our desires, but to become his worshippers. The crowd wants a crown without a cross. Let us not make that same mistake. But as well as bringing challenge, I do want to encourage you too. I think Christchurch, and that is all of you out there, are doing an amazing job in showing the love of Jesus. Just think of the daffodil delivery on, Mo- on Mothering Sunday, or the lovely prayer requests that are coming through, and the ways that we are blessing others with innumerable, innumerable acts of kindness to those down the street as you give people a ring or send an email. And I want to say well done and keep it up. But still, Palmer Sunday, especially in these very difficult circumstances, challenges us to the core. Jesus wept over the city because he was aware of the crowd's ulterior motives, that their devotion was as thin as a piece of tinfoil, that one little question or challenge would show how flimsy and insubstantial their faith was. But he didn't weep out of judgment, he wept out of compassion. I wonder, do we respond to others who represent the crowd in our current crisis with that same compassion? These are challenging questions as we live as Christians in challenging times. But God looks upon us with love and through this time is calling us to an ever deeper love relationship with him. In this time when we can't meet together or worship together and encourage each other. In this time of pain and sorrow and of things being stripped away. I believe God wants to form in us a deeper desire for him and his purposes for this world. He wants us to cry out those words that the crowd called out that first Palm Sunday with hearts and minds and wills set on him. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. May peace be with you. Amen.